sung that from week to week. This has been our theme song uh, since the beginning of the year. And uh, today, I love the phrase at the end, so we will live for Christ the King. And uh, doesn't that just sum everything else up? He gave so much for us, and we're so, so grateful to him. And we trust these meetings have been an encouragement for you, uh, for you to bow before the worthy king and vow to give him everything, and you would put all on the altar. And we just trust that these meetings have just been a shot in the arm for you to do that. Well, we'll dismiss the children at this time, and uh, they could be dismissed out the back. They'll have the final kids' meeting tonight, and we know that they've enjoyed Mr. Austin and the rest of my family uh, back there. And uh, you, know it's, you know it's bad when adults start to run out to go to the kids' meetings, you know. And uh, I tell you, they're, 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 they really have a great time. And so uh, we are just so thankful for all the kids. Could I just, could I just say thank you for all of your um, faithfulness uh, uh, to our meetings. I realize life is busy and there are things that are going on. And uh, many of you, you have been here every night. Many of you, you've just missed, you've been here almost every night. And uh, you have done that to the Lord. And thank you so very much. And we just trust uh, that these meetings have been encouragement to you. I'm always reminded of the man that kind of was backslidden. He was away from the Lord. And the pastor went to go visit him. This man hasn't, hadn't been in church for a long time. And the pastor really didn't know what to say to him. And so he knocked on the door, and the man answered the door, invited him in, and they, they sat down in front of the fireplace. And the pastor was really just grasping for words. He didn't know what to say to this man to try to motivate him and encourage him to come back to the Lord. He used to be on fire for God. And, and, he, and they sat there for like 10 or 15 minutes without saying a word. Well, the pastor didn't know what to do. And so he just thought, I might as well just leave. I haven't said anything in 15 minutes. And a coal fell off of, off of the fire. And it was once red, burning red hot. But when it fell off the fire, it turned cold and gray. And before he left, he took some uh, tongs and he, he put that coal back on the fire and it warmed back up and it got red again and burned with heat and fervor. And the pastor turned to leave and as he was in the doorway, the man broke the silence. He said, Pastor, thanks for the message. I'll be there on Sunday. And I tell you, when you just come into contact with God's word, with preaching, God's people, man, there's just something that stokes the fire. And there's something that fuels the passion for him. And uh, let me just encourage you to keep doing that. These meetings are only a commencement. This is only a starting of what God is going to do this year. And he's going to do some great things. Just a few things I want to encourage you to take a look at. This is the last night that you'll be able, the last time you'll be able to purchase some of the things off the back table. As uh, we'll be uh, packing this stuff up on Saturday. Uh, if you don't have the CD, Ocean Commotion. Uh, this is from uh, Patch the Pirate. It's uh, called, it's a, the theme is Finding Our Refuge in Christ. And again, what a great truth to teach young people. But I, I just encourage you just to, just to get this. And, and we listen to this as a family. And I tell you, a lot of the humor, uh, sometimes the kids don't get, but the adults get it. And it's really funny. And, uh, and I, I really have, have appreciated this CD. And so let me encourage you to get that. And uh, all of the CDs, including the adult CDs and the Patch the Pirate CDs, they're, they're, they're $15 or they're three for 30. So it's a better deal to buy more. And then it's five for 65, brings them all down to about 12 bucks a piece. So let me encourage you to take a look at that. And then if uh, you have not read the little book, The Red Sea Rules, can I encourage you to get this? Uh, just really 10 God-given strategies out of Exodus 14, how you can go from panic to praise and be delivered in every difficult time. God will always make a way for his tired yet trusting children, even if he has to split the sea in order to do it. And God can do that for you. Um, 
can I just encourage you, if you're going through trials, you need to get this book. If you buy one, you need to go ahead and buy two. Because I'm just telling you right now, you're going to give your copy away to somebody else. That's exactly what I did with mine when I first bought this. And I tell you, it's, it's a powerful book. He just hits a home run with this. It's, I think we sell this for eight bucks. This would be a great, great encouragement. But by two, I promise you, you're going to hand it off to somebody else. And then also, uh, another book that I'm, uh, I've enjoyed reading is called The Measure of a Man, 20 Attributes of a Godly Man. Simply just goes through uh, 1 Timothy 3 and part of Titus, which is characteristics of a godly man. And uh, uh, some of the, uh, one of the chapters is on respect and humility and moral, pur- and moral purity. One of the chapters is on communicating sensitively. And uh, boy, that's convicting. I just, I just even read the title, and <laughs> I'm already convicted of that. But there's a little QR code that you can scan in your phone, and there's a message from the author. He'll kind of prep the chapter for you. And then at the end of the chapter uh, as well, there's another QR code and uh, kind of a final message to kind of encourage you to live out that characteristic. But uh, just 20 attributes uh, of a godly man. And so let me encourage you to take a look at that, and that'll be a blessing to you. And then lies, uh, a book called Lies uh, Men Believe, and, and the truth that sets them, th- sets them free. So a lot of lies that we as men believe and that we just kind of acquiesce to. And but the scripture says something different. So it's filled with scripture. Let me encourage you to take a look at that. I think we sell that for $15. And I think this measure of a man, I think we sell for 14 And uh, we'd love to put some of those things into your hand. Now, one final thing I would like for you to consider. Uh, in 2021, I am leading a trip to Israel. And uh, we're actually using pilgrim tours, and they've done many, many tours over there. And I've been to Israel before. And uh, there's a little flyer in the back uh, that details some of the uh, some of the details of this trip. If you have never been to Israel, at some point in your life, you need to go there. We I have constructed the itinerary in such a way where we're we have packed. Uh, they didn't want to pack this much stuff in, but we're going to many, many places, almost all the places are places that you're going to read about in your Bible. And so I didn't want to go when I was 80. I wanted to go when I could actually use it in my ministry. And so many pastors have gone over to Israel. They came back and had to rewrite some of their messages. And uh, I tell you, you just learn so much. You read the Bible in black and white. uh, But man, when you're in Israel, uh, you're going to read it in living HD color. And you begin to make connections. Oh, that's over there. Okay, so that's why the scripture says that, oh, I make this connection now. And uh, I tell you, we'll, we'll go to the basement of Caiaphas's house, and we'll be in, in, in the basement there in that pit that they kept their Lord before, uh, during his trial and before his crucifixion. We'll read Psalm 88. That's a messianic prophecy of exactly what was going on in the mind of our Lord as he was in the pit, and you're standing on that ground. Uh, you're going to go to northern Israel. You're going to see just so many of these places. Walk the Via Della Rosa where the Lord carried the cross. And, and we'll have a communion service in the garden, at the garden tomb. And there are just every place is just a home run. And, uh, and I tell you, uh, I, nobody has ever come back and said, you know what, I wish I hadn't spent that money. And it's a little bit of an expense to get over there, but everyone has come back and says, man, I understand I, I'm, I'm able to read my Bible in just such a different way, and it's just such an impactful trip as we study the life of our Savior over in Israel. And so here is a little pamphlet that is back there, and I think we only have a few of these left, but it'll have a detailed itinerary in there. 
and so uh, we try to schedule the trip far enough out uh, to where you can save some money and so you can be able to put some away and then we're also doing an extension into Jordan and so we're going to go to Petra and the extension is just a couple days that's optional and that's an additional cost of the trip it's optional you don't have to go you can even arrange your own airfare and, and just do the land tour and just meet us over in Israel but the price that's quoted in here is uh, that's what's good for um, for all of your airfare we stay in very nice hotels uh, we have a huge buffet for breakfast and for supper and we eat lunch as we're out and uh, I tell you you really eat so well and it really is just just such a wonderful treat uh, please consider going on a trip like that and uh, we're gonna be doing these trips every two years so if 21 doesn't work they plan in your mind for 2023 uh, Brookside Baptist Church and Faith Baptist Church in Morgantown, uh, they're going to be joining us, and then folks from our meetings are going to be joining, and I'm going to be leading that trip. So let me encourage you just to take a look at that, and I know that'll be a great uh, encouragement and a challenge to you. Well, if you have your Bible, would you join me in Matthew's Gospel in Matthew chapter 28? I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 28 again, a very familiar text to most of us tonight, and uh, but I pray that you'll see this in a different light, maybe if you haven't seen it before in a long time. Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to begin our reading in verse number 16. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 16, God inspired these words. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain, where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I want to preach a very simple message tonight entitled out of commission father thank you for lord your goodness to us and father i pray that you would stir us tonight father would you just convict us and change us and lord would we go from failing to fulfilling this great commission lord this is the greatest business on the planet and help us to be faithful and fervent and to be fruitful as we go out bearing the gospel father would you help us develop a soul consciousness would you help us to see people dying and going to hell and on their knee and in their need for you? Father, would you help us to meet the greatest need of mankind to help them answer this gospel question? Thank you in advance for what you'll do. We pray you would rise up a generation of soul winners that this church has never seen before and a generation of disciple makers. Thank you in advance for what you'll do. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It was during World War II the United States produced warships in an astounding number. Basically, it was a race to see if we can produce them faster than the Axis powers could sink them. We won that race and the war. But the Navy had more ships on its rosters than it could keep in service. Battleships are expensive, and they're, and they're expensive to build, and, they're, and the cost is fairly expensive and, and really high uh, really to maintain them. And... Uh, and, and so, and the cost was really uh, almost impossible to get the cost out of it by dismantling the ships. So the Navy came up with a brilliant idea with a solution. It was a reserve fleet. These ships would be harbored with minimal maintenance so they could be activated within 120 days should the need arise anywhere around the world. 
The best known of these fleets is in Susan Bay, California, and just uh, it's just 30 miles northeast of San Francisco. And uh, just last spring, we were up there about a year ago from now. Uh, we were up there in Susan Bay. Originally, they had 350 ships that were in this fleet a few years ago that that number was down to 10 ships. At the time I am preaching this message, all of those ships are gone. And the Susan Bay is empty. What transformed these mighty ships, these heroes of World War II, sea battles into mildewed and corroded skeletons? What disfigured these vessels into worthless, worthless relics of years gone by? The answer is one word, neglect. The ships that can engage world powers in battle and win were powerless against disuse. So they sat, broken, rusting, out of commission. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight this reminds me of churches who have similarly suffered the disgraces of neglect. Our lives are busier than we would ever believe was possible, but for all of our activity in life, we never leave the harbor. And there are churches that once stood, great churches of the past, that once stood for the gospel and lighthouses of the gospel. They stand today as museums to what once was. And folks, it's about time we put our vessels back in commission and engage in the battle for souls. Christians are losing their influence. They're silencing their own voices in the cause of Christ. So here we sit, distracted, rusted waiting for our turn to be turned into museums. But there is a job to be done. The need has never gone away. In fact, the need of sharing the gospel and making disciples has, has only increased. Now is not the time to release our commission or even merely hold our ground. Now is the time to weigh anchor and re-engage our vessels in this great battle all over the planet. And in Matthew chapter 28, we find a message that our king gives to us. In Matthew chapter 1 through 4, we see the king's advent as he comes. In chapters 5 through 9, we see the king's authority. In chapters 10 through 12, we have the king's agenda. And then in chapters 13 and 17, we see all of the king's adversaries. And then in chapter 24 to 27, or chapter 18 to 23, we see the king's administration. And then 24 to 27, we see his atonement. And then in chapter 28, in verses 1 through 15, we see his ascension, but in this passage in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, we see a final assignment that this king, that this king gives. After Matthew shares all of the salient aspects of the kingship of Lord Jesus, he shares the one final commandment that our Lord gives. And ladies and gentlemen, tonight, Christ's last command ought to be our greatest concern. And so there are many people that discuss what is the purpose of the church to the world today. Some say, well, it's fellowship in John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. But if the purpose for fellowship or the purpose of the church concerning the world was fellowship, then God would have raptured us immediately and we would have perfect fellowship. Others say, well, the purpose of the church concerning the world is teaching. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, or to do the work of the ministry. By the way, you know why God gave all those gifts? There were two gifts that were, fun that were foundational. Those are the apostles and the prophets. An apostle was someone who had physically seen the resurrected Lord. A prophet was someone who received special revelation. And excuse me, Beth Moore, God doesn't give us special revelation anymore. 
that we have a more sure word of prophecy. We don't have any more prophets. Everything God wants you to know is communicated right here. You say, well, I saw a 30-foot Jesus standing in my front yard yesterday. That wasn't a 30-foot Jesus. That was a bad taco from Taco Bell. And so everything we need right here is given to us in the scripture. But he gave the, the evangelist and the pastor teacher for the perfecting of the saints for or to do the work of the ministry. You know why God gave evangelists and pastors? Not so that we can go out and do all the work so that you can come help us. We can train you and you can come help us for the perfecting of the saints till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect manner, the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ. But again, if the main purpose was teaching, then God would have raptured us immediately and then we would have perfect knowledge as we are fellowshipping with the embodiment of truth, God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, some say that it's praise and they quote Revelation 4, 10 and 11, the four and 20 elders fall down before him and that sat in the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created but you know what if the primary purpose was praise again the Lord would have raptured us and we would be able to give perfect praise to him the purpose of the church concerning the world is not fellowship it's not teaching it is praise there is really one purpose that God left you on this planet so that you can make disciples the sun came up this morning so God can build this church. And this is the purpose why God has left you here. And he has saved you. He has called you into this. Into the, he has transformed you. And he's called you to have this commissioning. That we are to go and to make disciples and to share the gospel and to teach people. You know, there's no greater way to bring glory to God than to make disciples. Listen, God has always sought man. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some account slackness, but is long-suffering to us, who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In 1 Timothy 2, 4, who have all men to be saved, and to come into the knowledge of the truth. And so the supreme mission of the church, and the work of the church is an extension of our Lord. He said, as thou descends me into the world, Jesus said unto his father, I have also sent them into the world. You see, that was the pattern, to leave all that we have, to come and to seek those who were lost and to make disciples and to sacrifice and to get on the altar. Wasn't that what our Lord did when he, led heaven, when he left heaven? This is the example that we are to follow. And in Matthew chapter 28, I want you to see five essential attitudes, how we can go from failing to fulfilling this great commission. Five essential attitudes. You thought it was going to say essential oils, didn't you? <laughs> Five essential attitudes. Please, if you're an oil person, I'm not coming after you, all right? And, uh, and uh, five essential attitudes that we need to have to fulfill this great commission. Would you look at the first one? It's found in verse 16. There's one in verse 16, one in verse 17, one in verse 18, one in verse 19 in the first part of 20, and one in the latter part of 20. So it's a very simple outline as we just follow the text here. Would you look at verse 16? Here we see the Bible says this, Then the eleven disciples went into Galilee, into a mountain, where Jesus had appointed them. And so I want you to see, number one, a simple prerequisite. There's a spirit of availability. There's a simple prerequisite. If you're going to fulfill this great commission, and God's going to use you to make disciples in a tremendous way, there's a simple prerequisite, and it's, a, and it's simply a spirit of availability. Two times our Lord told them, I am going to meet you up in Galilee on a mountain. 
in, in Matthew 26, 32, he said, but after I'm risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. In Matthew 28, 7 and 10, it go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And aren't you so glad he is risen from the dead? And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. Then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid, go tell my brethren that uh, that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Jesus was calling a great conclave of his followers for the purpose of commissioning them to reach the world in his name. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul was giving all the evidences of the resurrection, and he said that at one time there was an appearing of over to 500, and he says many, some of them have slept or have died. Many of them are still alive. You can go talk to them. Many commentators, I believe, rightly associate that group of 500 who saw the risen Lord with these same people and this same meeting in Galilee after our Lord arose. And wherever that mount was, they came with their weaknesses, their confusion, their doubt, their misgivings, and their fear. It took a week to get up to Galilee. If you were to walk from Jerusalem, they spent a week there and a week back down. And so they dropped everything that they were doing. They were, these were not the most capable people on the planet. They weren't the most intelligent. They weren't the most powerful. They weren't the most influential. As we know, several of the disciples, that they were just simple fishermen. But because they were there and they met Christ, they were commissioned to receive the Lord's promise of continual power and presence as they changed the world upside down. And it all started with them just being available. They dropped everything they had, all their family responsibilities, all their business responsibilities, because Jesus has risen and he, they were going to meet him. And simply because they were available, God used them to change the world. You know what, folks? The greatest ability is availability. The most gifted Christians are useless if they're not available to God. Imagine with me tonight if a wealthy entrepreneur decided to invest in your bank account $86,400, or I'm sorry, yeah, dollars every day. Now, you can do whatever you wanted with the money. The only rules were that you couldn't store it up into a, a, another account and save it for another day. And whatever was not spent at the end of that one day, it would be collected and burned and gone. What would you do with $86,400? You buy your pass for a new car, right? No. Well, you, know, you probably pay off your mortgage, right? You'd probably pay off any, any auto loans that you have or any outstanding medical bills or maybe, or maybe college or schooling bills. What would you do with $86,400 every day? You'd probably run out of things to spend on yourself and so you would give it to those that were in need. Hopefully you would tie that to uh, the uh, church. And, and, and so what would you do with $86,400 every day? You would be a fool not to use all 86,400 or give it away. You'd be a fool not to do that because it's gonna be collected and wasted. My friend, do you realize the eternal banker of heaven deposits into your account 86,400 seconds? every day whatever is not used for him it's collected it's burned and gone you can't take that time and save it for another day could I ask you a question what are you doing with your 86,400 seconds remember a couple years ago it had been a month before I it had been a month since the last time I led someone to the Lord and I said Lord it's it's been about a month and 
I really would like to lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ. God, just somehow, some way today, just bring my path across. Somebody who doesn't know you, just give me an opportunity really to share the gospel with them. Five hours later, that evening, uh, I ran across a couple, just in casual conversation. I was able to share, turn things to a spiritual nature. I was able to share the gospel with them. And 20 minutes later, right there, those two people got on their knees weeping and broken over their sin, and they trusted Christ, and they were born again. I walked into my trailer that night, and I said, God, why don't I pray that prayer every day? The opportunities are all around us. We're just not sensitive to see. And we get so wrapped up in our lives and so wrapped up in everything else. Listen, there is a simple prerequisite. If God's going to use you to lead people to Christ and God's going to use you to make mature disciples, you know what? You've got to be available. Some of you, you couldn't even disciple a new convert even if you wanted to because you're so busy. And you need to declutter your life. And you need to arrange it with the right priorities. And really, you need to have this simple prerequisite, just simply being available. Well, would you look back down at, at Matthew 28, would you look at verse 17? It says, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That word worship means to fall down, to bow down, prostrate oneself. And uh, as soon as they saw him, they fell down on their face. But amazingly, as they were looking at the Lord, some doubted. Now their awe and certainty of his divinity were immeasurably greater because Christ was risen from the dead. All their fears and their doubts and their misgivings and their confusion evaporated in the presence of the incarnate God. So they fell on their faces. This was maybe a time of worship that'll never be equaled ever again. I mean, think about it. These are the people who saw Jesus beaten and crucified and buried. Now he is standing, looking and speaking to them and he has risen and at that point, nothing else mattered. Not any of their possessions, not any of their material possessions that they had. Everything else just paled in comparison to the fact that Jesus has risen, that Jesus was alive, that he claimed who he claimed that he was, that he really was. He wasn't a lunatic. He wasn't a liar. He was the Lord that did rise again. Here we see a second really attitude that I want you to see. There's a simple prerequisite. Uh, it's the spirit of availability. Here we see a sacred priority. It was the spirit of adoration. So they worshiped him. In Matthew 6, 21, the Bible says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know why you're not involved in soul winning or making disciples or teaching new converts? Is because there are things that you treasure above that. I mean, that's just the bottom line. You're going to find time to do what you really want to do, and you're going to find time for that. And this is really what, the, what a Matthew was saying here. Uh, that it all begins with a spirit of adoration. Here was Netflix last year grossed $8.63 billion. According to a recent survey of American workers by accounting principles, Americans who regularly buy coffee throughout the week spend on average $1,092 on coffee annually. You realize last year $20 billion was spent on smartphone apps. There were roughly 41 million speeding tickets given out every year. 100,000 tickets per day. The average cost is $150, and you start doing the math, and you see how much we spend on, on having a heavy foot. 
lottery tickets. $66.5 billion on lottery tickets was spent in 2011. Unused gift cards, there were $41 billion worth of gift cards that went unredeemed from 2005 to 2011. The average American home spends 400, over $400 a year on gambling. To give you an idea how lucrative gambling havens are, casinos are in a gross revenue of $125 billion in 2010. The average ATM fee is an average of $3.81. And last year, Americans spent $7 billion on ATM fees. Americans spent $2.8 billion on candy on Halloween alone. I mean, that's unbelievable. They spent $117 billion on fast food last year. Wasted food, the average American household throws out $529 worth of food every year. They total that to $165 billion. Credit card interest, Americans owe $856.9 billion in credit card debt. And we spend our time on our money on so many of these other things. And yet these things are, are eternally insignificant to what we can be spending our time and our resources on. And you know what the fact is? There are idols of the heart that have just taken over. And there are things that have become more important to you than fulfilling this great commission that evangelizing people and making disciples. And really, there is a sacred priority that there ought to be a spirit of adoration. Their complete focus was on Christ. That's the essence of true worship. Single-minded, unhindered, unqualified concentration on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To simply put it, uh, uh, not simply to the Corinthians, but to every person who be spoke in every place he ministered, that Paul determined not to know anything among them but Jesus Christ. And Philippians 3 says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Listen, folks, if he is not truly worshiped, he can't truly be served. No amount of service to the king is ever going to replace love for the king himself. And so really our treasure is where our heart is. And we've got all these other priorities of sports, of shopping, or maybe our leisure time, or things that we want to do. And they all rise above this final commandment that our Lord gave. And if we're ever going to be used to win another generation for Jesus Christ, and we can, because the gospel has not lost his power, we have. We need a simple prerequisite just to be available. And we need a sacred priority, a spirit of adoration. But would you look at verse 19? Notice what he says here in, in verse, I'm sorry, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. The word power is the Greek word exousia and has the uh, idea of authority. And it speaks of the right and the power to act. Truly the head that was once crowned with thorns is now crowned with glory. He's the king of the universe. Jesus says this, and he makes reference to his own power because he's about to give the most audacious mission that the church has ever received. And he's making note of his authority because he's giving us this and this incredible, this incredible great commission. Submission to the absolute sovereignty of Jesus is not a believer's option, but it's a supreme obligation. It's not negotiable or adjustable to one's own particular inclinations or plans. It's rather the attitude that says with absolute sincerity, whatever the Lord wills, that's what I'm going to do. S.M. Lockridge had a famous message entitled, That's My King. 
And when we truly grip the kingship of Jesus Christ, that's when our disciple-making takes a turn. Would you listen to this excerpt of his message? That's my king. Do you know him? My king is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness, the highway of holiness, the gateway of glory, the master of the mighty, captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. My king, he's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors, the prince of, of princes, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. That's my king. My king is office. His manifold, his promise is sure, his life is matchless, his goodness is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love never changes, his word is enough, his grace is sufficient, his reign is righteous, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's incomprehensible, he's invisible, he's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him, you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. And Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He's always been. He always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor. He'll have no successor. There was nobody before him. And there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him. He's not going to resign. And his name is God. And when you truly begin to claim, to grasp the kingship of Jesus, it changes the way that you see the world. We don't have any right to develop <coughs> convictions or practice a lifestyle contrary to our king's word. We're not at liberty to invent new ideas on marriage or re-engineer human sexuality because we bow beneath the rule of a king. We don't decide which gender that we identify with despite however the king made us. It's not choice. It's all about biology. And it's serving the creature rather than the, cre- than, than the creator. It's them wanting to be their own God, saying, I don't want to be under the kingship of Jesus Christ. You know what? I'm going to be my own king, and I'm going to decide which gender that I am, regardless of how God made me. And really, it's an attack on the authority, really, of God Almighty. We don't have the right to to surrender to the lustful gratification of pornography because our behavior needs to be marked by obedience to our king. It affects how we go to work in the morning. It affects our relationship with our kids or with our spouse. And before the Lord gives his great commission, he establishes his divine authority to command it. Listen, this isn't an emotion or waiting for a buzz of spiritual power. It's it's not about a choice. It's all about a command. Most people don't share the gospel because they're, the number one reason, they're afraid of the other person's response. They're afraid of offending them. And we ought to fear offending him. Listen, the gospel is an offense. People say, well, I'm offended by the gospel. You know what? They've been offending God with their lifestyle for centuries. It's about time they, them, for them to get offended. Because they're offending a holy and a righteous God that loves them and is providing a way that they can be saved. You know, he makes note of his, of his authority as he gives us these essential attitudes. And so there's, number three, is there, there was a stirring proclamation, and it was a spirit of allegiance. 
It's a spirit of allegiance to the kingship of Jesus Christ. There's a sacred priority that there's an adoration and so much love for him. We want others to know who he is. And that motivates us to share the gospel and to make disciples. There's a simple prerequisite. And it really, it is a spirit of availability. But I want you to see number four. I want you to look back down at our text again, that there is a strategic plan. In verses 19 through the beginning of 20, there's a strategic plan. We must have a spirit of action. A spirit of action. So would you look at this plan in verse 19 and 20? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. The main verb in verses 19 and the beginning of 20, the main verb uh, there uh, really is to make is to make disciples. And it's an imperative. It means to initiate or instruct a disciple in the ways of teaching of a specific leader or teacher. And specifically, this is talking about Jesus Christ. And so that's the main verb. This is the central command. And so there are other verbs or participle clauses that, uh, that uh, in, in the way that this is structured in the Greek, that modify the verb making disciples. So think of it this way. If, 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 if this command to make disciples were a stool, it has three legs. And if you don't have all three legs on the stool, it's going to fall over. All right, so the seed of the stool is making disciples. Well, how do we do that? Here is the strategic plan. Look at the very first one that you see the word go. You see the word go. Now, not to be like overly, like uh, highly technical, um, but I believe this is an attendant circumstance. And so what happens is that this, that this piggybacks off the mood of the main verb, which is an imperative. So the word go acts like an imperative. It borrows, it borrows the force of a command from the main verb. And so uh, really, it, it, you could translate it this way, having gone. There are three things how we do in this strategic plan to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the word go, number one, it is to intercept people for Christ. And really the idea and how it's translated is, is having gone. We're all called to go. No Christian gets a pass in this command. Every disciple and every church must personally own this worldwide mission of the church. The first requirement makes it clear that the church is not to wait for the world to come, but that we, to our doors, but that we have to go to them. Listen, Jesus had 134 gospel encounters that are listed for us under holy inspiration of scripture in the New Testament. If you're in a quantitative analysis, this is, uh, you will enjoy this. There's 134 gospel encounters. Four were in the temple Six were in the synagogue, 124 were in the common places of life. Every single one of you have a pulpit. Yours just looks different than mine. Yours might be under the hood of a 57 Chevy at a neighbor's house. It might be installing an alternator in a neighbor's car. It might be helping him sheetrock his basement or part of his house. It might be bringing oranges to a Little League baseball game as you help to sponsor that team. It might be bringing a cake to a PTA meeting. Every single one of you, you have a pulpit. Yours just looks different than mine. We ought to be intercepting people for Christ. We ought to be building redemptive relationships with people. 
could you name me three people right now who are lost that you're spending time with in order to get them the gospel? Could you name two? Could you name one? Sometimes the only contact we have with the lost and dying world is when we roll through McDonald's and we say, I'll take a number one and yeah, make it a large size. And all around us, the world is dying, and they're going to hell. And so he says, having gone, we need to intercept people for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to intercept them from Christ. But too, would you look down at verse 19? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. That's the second one. We need to, number two, identify them with Christ. And that's what baptism is. We're identifying them with a local body of believers. You know what baptism is? It's just like having a wedding ring. It's, it's really a testimony. When you get saved, it's a step of obedience that say, you know what? I am identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have turned my back on my own good works in order to get to heaven, and I'm trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you go to other countries, in some cultures, people will make a decision to get saved all day long. But when you ask them to get baptized, that's a different story. Because now it's a public identification that we are identifying with Christ. And a lot of those cultures, like in India, they say, well, you're dead to us. You are rejecting our gods. You're rejecting our family. And we're going to reject you then. I remember one man uh, in India got saved by the grace of God. He was the drunk of the town. We came out of the church. We were singing songs. And we came down to the river. The whole town had gathered. They were going to see if this guy would actually go through it. When he went under the water and he came back up, there was an audible gasp from the entire town that was gathered on the edge of that river. Three men came down to the edge of that river, and they found the pastor, and they said, Preacher, if God and the gospel can change that man, he's the most wicked man in our town, then I know he can change me. And they got saved by the grace of God. And that's what baptism is. We identify them with the body of believers. You know what? Everybody needs a family, right? You know, the scripture says that not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. You know what the purpose is? For edification. You say, well, I'll just watch it online. Well, the problem is it's not just about the preaching. You're not coming to contact with other Christians in God's house and encouraging them and exhorting them. And so that's kind of the idea behind that text. And so everybody needs a family, and that's what church is. And so we need to intercept them for Christ. We need to identify them with Christ. But lastly, would you look, we need to instruct them about Christ. And it says in verse 20, in verse 20 teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You know what's interesting about this? He said, teach them all things whatsoever I commanded you. This truth is inclusive. God is saying, listen, you're to teach them everything in this book right here. Whatsoever I have commanded you. It's inclusive and it's invasive. You know what? Here's the point. You can't disciple and teach somebody else how they can have victory on pornography if you don't have victory yourself. You can't take somebody else where you've never been. If you're to read some, if you're to pull somebody up, then you've got to be on higher ground yourself. 
And so this is one of the reasons why sometimes we don't disciple, why sometimes that we're not transparent with our kids, that we're not transparent with other people because we're, you know, we're not living the truth uh, really as the scripture tells us. And, and, and so we don't know how to have victory in those particular areas. And, and this truth is inclusive and, and really it is invasive in our life. We're to teach them all things whatsoever he has commanded. Listen, this is a strategic plan that God has given to us to intercept them in the highways and the byways of life as you're going and as you're living life we build redemptive relationships with them we intercept them for Christ as they get saved we identify with Christ them with Christ in baptism and we instruct them in Christ and we meet with them and we teach them I tell you so many people you know what they think they think either it's evangelism is either knocking on a door cold turkey or it's nothing at all and there's a lot that's in between you can do an inquisitor's Bible study like the exchange. And you can just do this in your house. You can meet with any of your friends and it doesn't have to be every week. It, it, you could have one lesson one week and then three weeks later have another week and it just goes through the gospel and it introduces them to the gospel. You know what surveys tell us? Most unbelievers, most lost people, they have questions that they actually want to ask a Christian, but they're not willing to walk into the doors of the church to get the answer. That's why the command says go. And we've got to meet them where they are and build relationships. And can I just tell you, when you start getting sensitive and the minute you make yourself available, that's when God begins to step in. And that's when God gives you opportunity. You'll see that these opportunities were all around you. But this is the strategic plan. If you were to take a gifted evangelist who led a thousand to Christ in one year, and then you have the discipler who wins one. At the end of one year, the evangelist has a thousand, the disciple has one. Well, the next year, the evangelist leads another thousand to Christ. Now he has two thousand. The disciple and the one that he and the one that he discipled, they go out and they each reach one person, and they disciple them. So now you have four over here, two thousand over here. Well, the next year he has another thousand that he sees come to Christ. There's three thousand. These four, they go each reach one, and then it multiplies. And you say. You know, this is crazy. Do you realize by the 21st year, the disciples will overtake the gifted evangelist and then after your 21, blow him out exponentially. The math bears it out. And this is the strategic plan. It's not rocket science, but we've got to have a spirit of action. And when you just make yourself available and you begin to adore Jesus for all who he is and you fall in love with him and you want others to know him and you have that sacred priority and you have a spirit of allegiance because he has been given all authority and he's given us the plan and we just need to go and follow it. But would you look at the very last attitude that we see that we need in verse 26? or on verse 20 rather, he says, he says, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the word, the world. The word lo is an interjection that's frequently used in the New Testament to call attention to something of special importance. And it means certainly. When he says, I am, it's emphatic in the text, and, and it might be rendered, I myself am. He's calling special attention to the fact of Christ's own presence. When he says, lo, I am with thee always, it literally means all the days. Not all the days, but every second of every minute of every hour of one of those days. 
And when it says, I lo, I'm with you all, even until the end of the world, it's literally to the end of the age. Jesus was saying in a, this in effect. Now pay special attention to what I'm about to say because it's the most important of all. I myself, your divine, resurrected, living, eternal Lord, am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know what? This is the, this is the, the power that energizes us for the Great Commission is that he's with you. He's going to go with you. This Jesus is alive. He is powerful and he is your ally as you go fulfill this plan. <coughs> I told the young people in chapel, David Livingston, he paid a terrible price to bring the gospel to Africa. He was stricken by disease, by poverty. They would write back from Africa, just come home. He would get up in the morning, he would look out and see the, the smoke ascending out of hundreds of grass huts. He felt like he was on the backside of the desert, and he was. And there was one verse that kept him going. It was this verse. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And you know what? He's with you. And he can certainly help you. He certainly goes with you. And it's certainly he's the one who is at work. And again, this is, this is the spirit that we have to have. And really, this is the attitude that we ought to have. It, and really, that there is a sovereign promise that has been given to us. And it's the spirit of assurance that he's going to go with you. Spurgeon said this, a great many learned men are defending the gospel. No doubt it's a very proper and right thing to do. Yet I always notice that when there are most books of that kind, it's because the gospel itself is not being preached. So he's talking about having an overemphasis upon apologetics. Sometimes we worry about, did I use the right argument? Did I have the right apologetic? <clears throat> he says, suppose a number of persons were to take it in their heads that they had to defend a lion, a full-grown king of beasts. There he is in the cage, and here come all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I should suggest to them, if they were not object and, and feel that it was too humbling to them, that they should calmly stand back, open the door, and let the lion out. I believe that would be the best way of defending him, for he would take care of himself. And the best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. Never mind about defending Deuteronomy or the whole Pentateuch. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let the lion out and see who will dare to approach him. The lion, the tribe of Judah, will soon drive away all of his adversaries. And I, can I just encourage you just to go home and to let that lion out? And maybe you would just make a list of maybe five or ten people. And maybe you would just make a list of people that need to come to the Lord and just begin to pray. And as God opens up opportunities, just let the line out. It's up to the Lord uh, who comes to Christ. That's his business. It's up to us to be as faithful as we can. You know what the scripture says? It's more required of a steward that he be found, didn't say fruitful. It said faithful. And if you are faithful, there will be fruit. But it said fruitful. I said faithful. Listen, he's the Lord. He's going to go. He is going to actually help you in this endeavor. J. Oswald Chambers wrote this in The Improbable Christ. More than 1,900 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. This man lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He did not travel extensively. Only once did he cross the boundary of the country in which he lived, and that was during his exile in childhood. 
He possessed neither wealth nor influence. His relatives were inconspicuous, and he had neither training nor formal education. In infancy, he startled the king. In childhood, he puzzled doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked upon the waves as pavement, and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitude without medicine and made no charge for his service. He never wrote a book, and yet perhaps all the libraries of the world cannot hold the books that have been written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students as him. He never marshaled an army, nor drafted a soldier, nor fired a gun, and yet no leader ever had more volunteers who have under his orders made more rebels stack arms and surrender without a shot fired. He never practiced psychiatry, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors far and near. Once each week, multiple multitudes congregate at worshiping assemblies to pay homage and respect to him. The names of past and proud statesmen of Greece and Rome have come and gone. The names of past scientists and philosophers and theologians have come and gone. But the name of this man multiplies more and more. Though time has spread 1,900 years between the people of this generation at the time of that writing and the mockers at his crucifixion, he still lives. His enemies could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him. He stands forth upon the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, feared by devils as the risen, personal Christ, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's him who's going to walk into work with you. That's him who's going to go into that soul-winning endeavor, the one who spoke and light came into existence, that is the presence and the power that is accompanying you. We have a sovereign promise, and we ought to have a spirit of assurance that he is going to go with you. Let the lion out. And have a, a simple prerequisite, a spirit of availability, a sacred priority, a spirit of adoration. Have a spirit of allegiance because of the stirring proclamation of the authority of Jesus Christ. There's a strategic plan. Have a spirit of action. And there's a sovereign promise. Have a spirit of assurance. Live your life fighting a war that counts. Live for things that really matter. It was in the 1940s, an officer in the Imperial Japanese Army was sent to the Philippines to conduct guerrilla warfare. His commanding officer said, if you have to live on coconuts, live on coconuts. If you have to live on bananas, live on bananas. We will not forget you. We will come for you. He conducted guerrilla warfare as he gathered intelligence as he was uh, actually an intelligence officer in the Imperial Japanese Army. Well, uh, Japan, eventually, you know the history that they lost the war, and but word did not reach this man who was, who was a fighting guerrilla warfare in, in the Philippines. The U.S. would drop pamphlets all over the jungle. He would read them. He thought it was just propaganda as he continued to fight. In fact, there was a college student who, uh, who heard about this, and he said, I'm going to go find that guy. This college student went into the jungle. This Japanese college student went in and actually found him. Hiro Unada is this guy's name that was fighting uh, this guerrilla warfare. He says, Hiro, the war has been over for years. He said, I am never going to relinquish the fight until my commanding officer relieves me of my duty. I took a vow. The college student goes back home. 
he tells the Japanese government what has happened. They go get Hiru Unada's commanding officer, who is now well up in his 80s, who now was retired and an owner of a used bookstore. They flew him out there. They had this meeting. Hiru Unada comes out of the jungle in full military dress. He's got bullets and grenades strapped all over him as he's in his military dress carrying his automatic rifle. He walked up to his commanding officer. His commanding officer said, Hiru, the war has been over for 40 years. It's time to come home. A fit of rage exploded over Hiru Unada. And then as he placed his automatic weapon in the hand of his commanding officer, just broke down with tears. Here was a man that was fighting a battle that had already been lost for 40 years. And everything he was doing, it didn't matter. It was a waste. My friend, don't live life like that. And his last command ought to be our greatest concern because he is risen and he is seated on the right hand of the Father. He has all authority. And his last command ought to be our greatest concern. Let the lion out. If I were to ask tonight, how many of you, you trusted Christ the very first time you heard the gospel? Can I see your hand? The very first time you ever heard the gospel, you trusted Christ. Now, that's interesting. I don't see a hand in the room. Now, we, ha we see that all the time, so that can happen. But you know what 100% of your testimony is? You heard the gospel, and you didn't receive it the first time. You know what? There was somebody that gave you the gospel, and that was patient, and they prayed for you. And maybe they came back and watered the seed. And maybe they just prayed for you again. And maybe later it was somebody even years later that came again and shared the gospel with you. And you heard the gospel enough. And over time, you trusted the Lord as your Savior. You know what 100% of your testimony is? That there was somebody who was faithful that didn't quit when there wasn't an immediate response and immediate fruit. That they were patient. That they served God. They gave you time. They gave God time to work. And they just persistently gave you the gospel and eventually you came to know the Lord. That's 100% of your testimony. Here is the challenge that I lay down to you, dear people, my friends here at Westside. Be that person to somebody else. And maybe if it's even just one. God, I'm going to love that person. I'm going to build bridges to that person. Give me wisdom. Give me opportunity. And you spend time with them. And you show them the love of Christ. And you get involved in their life. And you let them see Christ living in you. I promise you, God's going to give you opportunity to share the gospel. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I faithfully do my part to win that soul for thee. And lead them to Christ. And then meet with them and disciple them. And show them what the scripture says and how how the word of God is relevant and comes to bear in our life and it's a light that guides us because it's the light of God himself and then train them to go out and win other people for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the activity that we've got to be engaged in. And there are some teenagers that can play Fortnite for 12 hours. We ought to be going out and sharing the gospel and winning other people for him. Just let the line out. You may have failed miserably in this matter of making disciples, you know, that can all change right here and right now. We can go from failing to fulfilling. 
Don't get to heaven and be like Hiru Nada. And have the Lord look at you. You were living a life for 40 years that never mattered for eternity. Don't walk into heaven at the end. Let his last command be our greatest concern. And you can go from failing to fulfilling. Failing or fulfilling. And it's your choice tonight. Would you stand quietly as we pray? Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, we just pray you would do your work. And Father, would you help us to let out the lion? And God, would you just stir us tonight and challenge us and change us? My invitation tonight is very simple. As heads are